You're listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to jump on and make this super quick, but I wanted to let you know that with the holidays coming up, Cassia and I, who is a doula on my team, by the way, we have put together this incredible webinar for you. It's called Grieving Through the Holidays. It's a 17-minute webinar that you can get in video format, audio format, and you have access to a 20-page guidebook that serves as a workbook, but also has the transcript for the webinar and some extra information. It covers things like coping during the holiday season, setting goals, scripts for talking to people about miscarriage or answering their nosy questions, journal prompts, a, a deep dive into triggers, and so much more. You can get this for $15. It includes the audio, the video, and the guidebook. And you can access this or learn more if you'd like to by visiting the link in today's show notes. Okay, let's get into the episode. It's so great to meet you and to have you on the podcast today. Um, before we started recording, I let you know that I've followed you for quite a few years. Um, always find your content to be really helpful, really validating. And uh, it was two years ago that a friend of mine in the miscarriage community started working with you. And through her experience, I got to see how you worked and how she felt about your work. And that made me want to follow you even closer. And it's given me the opportunity to refer different clients to you. All have had really great experiences. It, it made me wish I had found you after my second miscarriage because uh, like many other people, uh, it was coined as unexplained and told it was just bad luck and just to try again. And luckily for me, trying again did give me a living child, but that's not the story for so many people. And um, I, I know you see it all the time. And so I appreciate the work that you do so much. Um, all of that to say that, um, I continue to refer people to you. They all have really great experiences and the, I always, they always say how they talk to you virtually cause they're all over the country, but you have very good virtual bedside manner, which it's hard to come by like in-person bedside manner. So that's a really big thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate all the kind words. Um, you know, I think it's, a it, it's, you know, when you start working with couples who have had losses, one or more, you know, it, you, you just first and foremost need to be there for them yeah. um, and be able to listen and allow them to express what what they're going through. But then also be, you know, um, a support to get through it and to thrive on the other side of it. And all too often. Um, and all aspects of the fertility journey. And we could even expand that into healthcare overall, at least in the United States. We all just tend to be a number, um, whether that number is an actual number in a chart or a financial number. And so, you know, I think it's, it's something that we lose sight of um, is, you know, working with people and addressing people and caring for people um, I think if we keep that in our mind with most of our decisions and communication, I think we approach things a little bit differently if we do. Yeah, you, yeah. you would certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, and on your website, that, that brings me into a really easy transition into about you, but on your website, you mentioned having multiple health issues as a child, being a twin of a healthy twin and being the one that always seemed to have a health concern. And that led you to be passionate about research and finding the reason why, and not just going with the unexplained diagnosis. Of course, many people listening to this 
they have heard the word unexplained probably too many times and they're pretty fed up with it, whether it's with unexplained infertility or unexplained miscarriages. What led you from struggling with your own health to focusing on infertility and pregnancy loss? Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I don't believe in unexplained. Um, you know, <laughs> we could take that to UFOs and and all sorts of other things like there is a reason for everything and i think uh the the bigger question becomes how are we going to find answers um and it's about either interpreting information differently or um, asking the right questions to then run the right tests or look in the right place to get those answers and and that's really what happened for me in my own personal health care needs um, and I find to be true as I've worked, um, you know, for for almost two decades in the reproductive health field. Um, I really got into this field, for lack of a better word, a little bit by accident. Um, um, and and I'm so happy that's what happened to me. I think the bigger thing is that I listened to uh, to. I followed the path. I followed the, what was in front of me and um, I paid attention to what I thought was my calling. Um, and at the time I didn't know um, because I thought I was really gonna be focusing in so much on digestive issues because that's really where my health issues were for, for very much a long time of my life. Um, not to say that I don't bring that into play now because I do quite a bit, it's very useful now, but um, I just started seeing uh, women who are reaching out to me for hormonal support and um, reproductive support. And it's kind of what led me in that direction. So when I say by accident, truly, when I was working in the in the um, uh, school clinic, and I was in graduate school, and I was seeing uh, patients, everybody else was seeing pain. And the only people that were coming to see me were hormone related fertility and so forth. Um, and really, that was the spark. The first patient I ever saw who had PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which by chance do have a higher likelihood of miscarriage. Um, I, um, I helped her conceive in about four or five months and that changed my life forever. I mean, it was such a huge impact on me. And as much as I always joke, as much as I helped her actually with two children, um, she's helped me much more than I ever uh, imagined and much more than I ever helped her. I can't even repay her for how much she impacted my life and, and all the lives that I touch you know, from then forward. So that's really was the main driving force um, to push me into this field and, and keep me going. Yeah. Well, and I think that whenever you look at the whole body, you kind of realize that everything is like a domino effect for reproductive health, for hormone health. Like it all goes together. It's not just, oh, you ovulate. Great. You can get pregnant. Awesome. You're going to go <laughs> on to have living children. It's so much more than that. And I, I know I've always had those uh, regular cycles. And so I had a doctor tell me once that I was fertile because my cycles were 27, 28 days and that I had childbearing hips, which is now looking back a very strange comment, but very it was, strange. I was told that I'd have no problem getting pregnant in the future. And he, they asked no other information. And then I went on to have, uh, cycles where I never actually ovulated, but had breakthrough bleeds and infertility and then recurrent pregnancy loss. And you know, it, there was no actual healthcare put behind it. Nobody asking me about periods or cycles. And so, um, what you said about 
feeling like just a number, I think that we've kind of made that such a normal thing that we don't even realize that we're not really being viewed as a unique person and a unique being. And and I think it's really important to focus on different things, whether it's digestive or hormone health or any of that stuff. And so I think it's uh, incredible that you went into this field, especially I think that being, you know, being a male in this space too is so unique, but it shows that you're caring and that you're knowledgeable. And those are two really hard things to come by as, as a doctor in this space. Uh, usually it's like, you're either knowledgeable or you're super caring. So it's, it's nice that you see the whole picture. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's, um, I think the trend is actually changing to become more, uh, female heavy or female dominant um, on the medical side of things in this field. But prior to that, it was actually more male dominant. Um, And I think that comes, both sides come with plus and minuses. Uh, Very interesting and fascinating conversation. I think we can even have on that side of things. Um, Although I don't know that that's the point of our our, (laughs) uh, conversation today, but I do think that that is something that, um, that is, uh, interesting in changing the way uh, the medicine is practiced and and how we're related to um, as a result of that. Um, but you know, coming back to what you said about a number, one thing I didn't mention when I mentioned that is sometimes we're also viewed as a number in terms of just our age. I just yes. spoke to someone an hour ago um, that um, you know she's in my program and we were talking about her situation. I think she's had if I'm not mistaken, five mis- miscarriages, unfortunately. Um, and they keep saying it's, oh, it's just her age because she's 45, 44. Um, and when I look at all her information and numbers, I don't think that's the case at all. So it, it's it's really, she was completely dismissed. I mean, they didn't even look at, they didn't, no one even opened up her file. Mm-hmm. It, they, they opened up the first page, saw her age was 44 and they were like, oh, you just need donor eggs, you'll be fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and as a, a doula, I see that all the time. And, and that I always tell them whenever they tell me, well, I'm 44 and trying to conceive. And I'm like, okay, I didn't even need to know your age. Cause that doesn't matter to me. You know, it's right. people are brushed off and age is such a big thing. It's if you're under 30, you're told like, oh, you have plenty of time. Just keep trying. And if it doesn't happen by 35, then we'll do something. And then after 35, you're point is too old. And then you're told just to like go into IVF or use donor eggs. And it's just like, why can't we just look at somebody's health? You know, a 24 year old could have the AMH of a 45 year old and 45 could have the AMH of a younger person as well. And that the age is not what we need to focus on. It's everything else. And I see that a lot as well. And so it's, it's really important to have practitioners that like, don't look at the age and they're like, nope, you're not going to get pregnant. So let's just go on to something else. It's, it's not helpful to look at. Yeah. It's not, I think the only place where I think, and I really do not, it's the last thing I look at um, in the bigger picture um, or the last, I should say the last thing I take into account in their entire plan. Um, but I think the place where age does play a role is more when we're discussing time and making decisions. So what I tend to call the time factor, because, you know, if you're, if you want X amount of children and you're whatever age, and we've got to balance those things out. And that's when decisions might need to be 
pushed or compressed a little bit in terms of time. So that's really the only time that I really bring up age um, as a discussion when we're trying to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that that makes sense. And I'm sure that that's something that patients bring up to you probably first because they have life goals and they have a way that they want their life to look. And that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that starts to get more complicated as we have to make those decisions when we want, let's just say three Mm -hmm. or four children, we've had a history of loss and we kind of need to make all these big decisions about procedures or testing and so forth. I think those things start to um, get jumbled and become a little bit more complicated to sift through. Um, But, but yes, I mean, I think, um, I think we do put a little bit too much emphasis on age overall in the, in the reproductive world. Yeah, for sure. Um, And a a topic that follows that, that I really wanted to discuss with you is fertility testing. Um, Speaking from a fertility experience with recurrent pregnancy loss, my panel came back quote unquote normal, and it was very basic tests. And I was told there was no other tests that could be offered to me. Um, I was told specifically my infertility was probably my poor ovulation. Miscarriages were bad luck and just to go on with unexplained. So in the world of fertility testing, where do you feel is a good starting point? Yeah. So I I think the first thing I want to say when we start talking about testing and and anyone who's listened to me talk or my videos, like I love testing. They are extremely important. I believe in the, you know, the coined phrase of test, don't guess, um, and really allow that to drive your plan and dictate how you move forward. Um, But with that, I also just want to mention to everybody, like testing is a Pandora's box. And once you open that box, you could go down a long road of testing and spend a lot of money on testing that may or may not be necessary. Um, So if you have the financial means for it, I always say, I think it's better to know than to not. And and, um, I always love getting test results back and finding nothing. And that, that you as the the patient on the other end felt like you wasted your money. And I say that because (laughs) I'd rather not find anything, uh, even though I know everybody that I work with will say, I want to find something so that I can find a cause and we can move forward with it. But I'm just letting everybody know that I prefer not to find anything, (laughs) but usually we find something. Um, And so we, I think we have to peel that onion appropriately and carefully when we're talking about lab testing and anybody who tells you what you were told that there's no additional test that, that I can run. um, There's nothing else that we can do to look for either doesn't know what they're talking about or is only thinking about insurance and how insurance is managing their ability to manage your case. There is always more testing, whether you should or shouldn't do it. There is potentially always more testing that can be done from a conventional perspective or from a functional medicine perspective. Um, But then we come down to a place of like, what's appropriate and what makes sense. So for me, the first place I always start with everybody, um, which I always get whether I always, everybody tell, oh, I've had everything tested. Everything looks normal. Like, I don't believe it until I look at it, Um, is we start with all the foundational labs 
And these are not necessarily specific to um, a recurrent loss or miscarriage. They're just foundational labs that we all should have as part of, uh, in part of our folder. Um, all your hormone, your day two, three or four labs, so FSH, LH, estradiol, AMH, DHEA, prolactin, testosterone. And then all the general, what we would call more general annual uh, checkup, uh, CBC, so complete blood count, your um, metabolic panel, um, you want to check for um, your iron levels and B12, and we want to check your vitamin D levels and inflammatory markers like homocysteine and a full thyroid panel. By that, I mean full thyroid panel. So, you know, TSH, T4, T3 antibodies, we want to just understand where you are at from a just general foundational perspective. So if you haven't had all those things, and many of us just don't, because if you don't go to regular checkups, you're not gonna have just the regular standard things that come up, you know, glucose, cholesterol, and so forth. Um, and when you start to go down the reproductive side of things, then they kind of forget about the standard things and they just really pigeonhole into a very small, narrow uh, lab field. And that, can be just AMH or just FSH and AMH or you know whatever that doctor decides to put in. And so often there's a lot missing. So that list is the bare minimum of what needs to be done. Um, and then when we start getting into more, you've had a miscarriage or two and you're thinking your gut is telling you that, oh, there's something else going on. We need to do some more advanced testing. That's where we start to dig deeper to more immune, immunological testing, um, more blood clotting factors and variable testing. Um, and that list, you, so if you have insurance coverage, which unfortunately most don't for it, um, but if you have insurance coverage, hopefully most of those are covered for you. If you're not, that can be an expensive thing, which is why I said in the beginning, kind of peeling that onion, maybe starting with a, a low, um, you know, a foundational thing like just your um, anti-phospholipid antibodies. And, and that could be really minimal because there's a standard panel and there's a more um, expanded panel for that. And that is more broad. Um, I typically just do the whole expanded panel because I want as much information. If I'm doing that, I might as well do it just once and not more than that. Um, you know, you've got to rule out some of the immunological things like lupus and RA, um, um, natural killer cells is something that I like to do often only because I find it is often elevated. Um, and so I, it's something that I like to look at. Um, and then, you know, then there's a lot of the more genetic based um, tests that can be done and, and that can be done in a myriad of ways, depending on if you're doing, you know, just regular genetic testing or if they're wrapping it into your miscarriage panel um, or not. Um, and then the, there's the whole slew of blood clotting factors um, that need to be accounted for. Some are just standard blood work and some are genetic labs. And I've seen over the years, some interesting genetic um, blood clotting factors that came up that literally I've seen only in one person, but she has, you know, a hereditary issue in her family and it's been passed on to every female in her family. And sure enough, she had it. And so these are just things that, you know, some of it just becomes a little bit more nuanced. And with all that being said, that's just from a Western perspective. 
right? Like we just spoke for roughly 10 minutes on testing. And that was just from a Western perspective, no functional tests did I include in that conversation, but there's a whole list based on someone's history, depending on what comes up that I absolutely would, would run. Like for me, the start of a digest, uh, of a, um, immune system is in your gut, in your digestive system. So if we don't, if we suspect or know that there's some immune issue, we have to inherently look at your digestive system to understand what it's doing and how it's impacting your immune system as well, because that is the foundation for your immune function. And so we've got to look at both, you know, we've got to look at that aspect as well, or, or I should say, I have to look at that aspect as well. Um, and then we really just start, we can really go beyond in so many other directions based on somebody's history. So um, I don't know if I would say that's like, that's where you start, but hopefully someone can gather with all of that kind of how you would start to peel that onion and dictate where you, where you go with that. Yeah. I think that that makes sense, but that's also a good approach instead of just doing a bunch of tests and paying for them out of pocket. Cause like you said, a lot of people don't have coverage or even yeah. if they do, they still have to pay high dollar amounts to meet certain deductibles and things like that. And so I think right. that looking at it as peeling an onion is, is really helpful in not overwhelming a patient whenever they're already feeling like they have so many appointments and so much money spent and they don't have their child. Right. And, and so I think right. that's a really great way to look at it. Um, and I wish that other doctors looked that way. And I'm kind of laughing as you're talking, because I had a doctor who ran, um, just my AMH whenever I went after two years of not getting pregnant and was like, Nope, everything is good. Your AMH looks great. Let's just try and conceive again. And, and I wish I knew then what I know now, because I would have pushed for so much more instead. I was like, okay, I'm healthy. Let's do this. And, you know, it, it's, it's spot on that they only test usually for really baseline things. And it's usually, uh, it's usually the same test for everybody without even really taking into account your medical history, which can be really important. Yeah. You know, um, that is such an important piece. And while you were talking, it made me think that I forgot to mention one thing in the testing, which I'm kicking myself for not even <laughs> mentioning it and having to do this right now. But to tell all of you that anytime there's reoccurring pregnancy loss, we cannot ignore the male side of things. Um, 40 to 50% of all miscarriages have some form of male factor associated with it. If your partner or husband has not been tested and is giving you a hard time about it, um, my suggestion is keep, give them a kick in the butt and um, make them listen to this. And you know they're hearing it from me. I, I am telling them, not you, not your wife or partner. I'm telling them you have to get tested. So if you haven't done a basic semen analysis, you absolutely need to do that. In addition to that, um, anybody with recurrent pregnancy loss, I also recommend doing a DNA fragmentation test in addition to that. So, yeah, I think that's a really great thing to add. Um, I just to like lighten that to where, uh, maybe if women are showing this to their male partners and, and they're telling them, look, you know, Mark said to do this. I, um, I told my husband he had to get a semen analysis 
And we lived so far away. He had to do it in, in office. And I was like, I had no sympathy for him because of all the procedures and stuff I had to have done. And um, I made his appointment for a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And I was like, this is your contribution to our fertility journey. And he has never let me live it down. And I tell all the women that story that way, their partners will be like, okay, okay, okay. At least I don't have Arden pushing me at 7 a.m. on a Saturday to right. go do this. And, <laughs> and so that was my, my way of making him pull his weight in the fertility testing world, because a lot of it does feel like it's put on the woman, but there are a lot of cases of male factor infertility or male factor in, you know, quality of sperm and all of that stuff. And so, um, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I think sometimes we tend to forget that because our tests are not usually run on the men. And so, right. um, it can be, it can be easy to feel like you're alone in that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, they, they just got to step up and do it. I think right now we're fortunate in, I think in the last two years or so, maybe in the last three, um, you know, there's a few companies that now you can do a semen analysis from home, from the comfort of your home. There's not many that do a DNA fragmentation like that. There's only one that you can do from home. The rest you do need to go into a lab to do. Um, but at least you have that ability to yeah. do it from home where they have that ability to do it from home. And so, you know, that's always a bonus instead of trying to do it in, you know, a little exam room, um, <laughs> which I understand can be difficult, but I have very little sympathy for any man who complains about it. Um, but yeah, you know, at least, at least they have those options now that that can help facilitate it. So. Yeah. And on the topic of male factor, I once had a doctor, um, say to me because my husband's came back totally fine. And I was like, great. So it's just me. And she said to me, she said, well, we can't exactly test for the quality of sperm. And so it could be a quality issue. Just like we can't really test your egg quality without IVF or something like right. that. And so do you find that to be a thought process that you have as well to where sperm quality matters kind of like egg quality? Yeah. The closest thing I find to quality per se is going to be um, is going to be the morphology and DNA fragmentation. It's not exactly okay. the same. And depending on where you do a DNA fragmentation, they can also check on oxidative stress as it relates to um, like it depends the company who's running the DNA frag. And some of them will do an additional test or one of them, I think will do an additional test where it's oxidative stress. And that is, I think, more correlated or can be more correlated with quality. Um, um, but essentially correct, you, you can't really. So it doesn't mean that just because that everything came back totally fine, that now they don't have to do anything. They can eat all the French fries and burgers they want, drink all the beer they want and you know, not worry about their health. No, I, I mean, we still want them to be an active participant. We still want them to take care of their health because regardless, they are still passing on their genetic makeup as right. part of that child you're trying to create. And that genetic makeup is not only going to, going to influence the health of your future children, it's going to help influence their future children, your grandchildren, beyond that. So we do have to think generationally and not just one generation down the road, but multiple that we're influenced or were influenced by our grandparents and great grandparents and your children and great, great grandchildren will also have that impact. So what genetic makeup do you want to pass on? 
right? We know now with all the sorts of testing that we do that our health absolutely will be passed on and impact the health of your children, both in utero and beyond. So what is it we want to pass on, right? Like, do we want to pass on the Doritos and Cheetos and Coke or, and, and you're, you're basically creating a diabetic child before they're even born, or do you want to pass on a healthy fit child that is ready to, you know, contribute to our society and have healthy children in the future. And we don't think like that. We just do not think like that. Generations ago, they did. We don't currently. And I think that's something that's absolutely missed in our decisions that we make. Um, We don't think that way. So, yeah. And I've seen a few doctors um, talk on that. I've read a couple of books where it mentions like toxins and, and different things like that. And I know that that was a big change I personally made. And I saw a lot of improvements in my health from doing that. I was kind of a a hater on the whole, like doing the scanning on the app to see how, you know, horrible different products were. But then once (laughs) I did it, I realized that these toxins really do play a role in my health. And I saw big differences, um, in my periods alone, which I thought was kind of crazy. Very, very important. Um, look, I am a stickler for that sort of thing in my household. Um, it sometimes drives my wife crazy um, because you can't be perfect with everything. So you're just trying to do the best you can. But one of my biggest rules, at least on my in my house, on my property is no roundup, right? Like it, it, we cannot use it anywhere. She goes, you know, they use it and they use it. I'm like, it's not here. I can only control here, right? So we're not using it on our property. And roundup, we know stays in the soil for decades. Wow. I mean, I I could be off by like 50 years. Okay. (laughs) That's how big, that's how long it stays in our soil. And it's a chemical toxin that absolutely impacts our health and our fertility. And just imagine how long it stays in your body when you eat it then. Like what's it doing to you at that point in time? So all of these things have dramatic implications for us today and, you know, generations to come. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a great example. I'm the, a stickler in my house on soaps and like skincare and stuff, but awesome. that's, <laughs> that's kind yeah. of where I hadn't even thought about roundup and now I need to check and see what my husband uses in the yard. Um, but that's, that's a really great note. Thank you for, for giving that. Another yeah. thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I know that you're uh, a licensed acupuncturist and anybody who has attended any of my group circles or one-on-ones, we always talk about acupuncture. And that's another thing where I was like, no, I'm not going to do acupuncture for infertility. It's not going to help me. And then it completely changed my mental health. And it did change a lot of my physical health too. Um, I found it to be specifically helpful with insomnia and PTSD following my second miscarriage, which I feel like surprises a lot of people because I did a lot of different therapies for PTSD, but acupuncture was the most helpful to me personally. Um, So being a licensed acupuncturist, can you explain the benefits of doing acupuncture, especially after miscarriage, whether it's from recovering from miscarriage or trying to conceive, you know, with that under your belt? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, acupuncture has been around for thousands of years. Um, 
And I'm happy I'm not the first person who ever experienced acupuncture because not many of them actually continue to live because it was such an experiment at that time. <laughs> but, uh, but we are fortunate to have the evolution of technology on our side now. Um, and acupuncture is really, really powerful. Um, I will just preface this by saying it's not for everybody, but no medical system is for everybody. So I do think it's worth giving it a try and seeing if you find benefit and if it can be supportive for you. Um, and at least you can say that you've tried it. And, and if it didn't work for you, it didn't work. Um, the two main things that are really beneficial for acupuncture, I would actually say three, is um, regulating the nervous system, increasing blood circulation, and strengthening your immune system. Now, we just talked previously about lab tests that we talked about two of those three. We talked about, and I'd actually even say we've talked about all three of those, but I'll, I'll bring it all together in a moment. But we talked about immune function and we talked about blood circulation or blood clotting, right? So acupuncture can help with two of those right off the bat. Um, and so that alone makes it really valuable for um, miscarriage support um, and hopefully maintaining a healthy pregnancy um, on a subsequent uh, pregnancy. Um, but the, the regulation of the nervous system is actually one of the more important things that I love about it is that it helps regulate our fight or flight response. So it helps relax our nervous system and calm down and reset. That's that euphoric feeling you kind of get through it, um, especially in the beginning when you haven't used it before um, because of all those endorphins that are being released. And then through that mechanism of regulating your nervous system, it can also help to regulate your endocrine system, your hormones, because your adrenal glands, which sit on top of your kidneys and are part of your nervous system, communicate with your hypothalamus and pituitary, which are where your primary hormones for fertility are produced. Um, FSH, LH, uh, TSH, prolactin are all produced there. And so that is what's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access. And so if we can regulate that access, we can also influence the endocrine system and regulating hormones. So I talked about all of those things in some way when we were talking about lab tests. And so that's why acupuncture is so powerful and so beneficial for fertility but it still does need to be done consistently to be effective. It's not like just taking one medication that can just fix things. It doesn't work that way. Um, it takes time and, um, and also needs to be done by the right person who knows what they're doing, um, which I don't see, unfortunately, that often um, in how that, that gets managed. Um, because so much of what happens in the fertility world tends to get focused on, on, on egg quality. So the default at many offices, just whether it's acupuncture, naturopathic, you know, uh, your REI fertility clinic, whatever it might be, the default tends to just be egg quality for everything. Again, not taking that personalized approach, not looking at you as an individual and assessing you and then realizing, okay, this is what we need to do. Um, 
that really comes back back to the provider itself and and how they they work with patients. But the medicine itself is super powerful and beneficial. Um, just in the recovery of of a miscarriage, just can help to regulate your hormones and get you back on track faster and get your cycles back on track. And then certainly, like I mentioned, just preparing you for an upcoming um, pregnancy. And and one of the things that I do think is also really important because I get this question a lot is, you know, what can I do when I get pregnant to help prevent a miscarriage? The work we want to do to prevent a miscarriage, in my belief, should happen before, before you get pregnant. What are we going to do to correct those imbalances or deficiencies that need that support? And that should all happen before. I'm not saying that there aren't things that need to happen once you do get pregnant, but that should be second, right? That shouldn't be the first thing like, oh, I'm now I'm pregnant. Now what do I do? It should be the other way around. No, I think that's a really great, uh, a great note and a great thing to explain because um, I get that question a lot too. And my response is always really nothing. Like you just kind of have to sit and wait and understand that you don't have control anymore. And, you know, yeah. of course, like you said, there are a couple of things that can come up in pregnancy that uh, can be preventable with loss, but it's few and far between. So it's, it's yeah. the work before I think is a great way to put that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Mark, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you three questions that I pulled from Instagram. Um, one Instagram follower asked, do your recurrent pregnancy loss patients tend to have lower numbers of PGS normal embryos in an IVF cycle? Um, I've, I don't think I've ever paid that close attention to that specific detail, although now I might after this question. Um, I thought it was an interesting one because I hadn't thought about it either. Yeah, certainly an interesting question. What I'll say is the majority of women I work with and couples that I work with who have recurrent loss aren't necessarily doing IVF. So we wouldn't have that information. I'd say about 50% of them are. Um, but I'm not a firm believer that IVF is the solution for this population. Like we're, we're often told, oh, you're losing your pregnancies. Okay, just do IVF, it will fix it. Mm, not necessarily. Um, it, I think that only comes back to if it's truly a chromosomal issue and that's happening repeatedly. And so then are you going to do donor at that point, or are you going to do genetic testing to find the, the one healthy embryo? But if we haven't done all that initial testing we talked about before, and we haven't ruled out all those things, then we don't know if going towards IVF is actually really going to, you know, really address those areas um, and, and correct the issue, let alone that 99% of the IVF clinics in the United States won't even be won't are, are not qualified or they don't even care to address the recurrent loss from an immunological perspective or blood clotting variable perspective to support you the right way to address those variables even if you do go through IVF because their solution to everything is just get a normal embryo and you'll be fine which I don't believe is necessarily true so we came around to that, but <laughs> um, but I do think that was an important piece to share. I, I definitely think it, it is because I know that whenever I talk to people, they automatically assume that seeing a fertility specialist equals doing IVF and that being their best shot. When I think I say IVF is not a guarantee like 500 times a day because yeah. IVF can 
can help in certain situations, of course, like you're saying, if there's a genetic abnormality that's, you know, been found, but it's not necessarily going to be the solution for everybody. And then you're out 50, a hundred thousand dollars. And now you have nothing else to put into other testing or other options. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that they have quite a few options with testing or, you know, even treatments before getting to IVF. We're not really told that very often. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Um, the second question, and we've kind of uh, answered this, but I'm curious the first half of the question. So the follower asked, do you know of any significant data to show why miscarriage happens multiple times? If not, I'd love to hear your professional opinion. And I know that probably your professional opinion is like the, the health wise. And, you know, we talk a little bit about toxins and stuff, but I also haven't seen like really great studies on like why it happens multiple times, because there's so many different types of loss and so many factors. Um, yeah, I think you answered it appropriately. Like, uh, there's no real data that shows that information, and it's 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 really a hard thing to do research on, um, with all the variabilities and so forth. Um, it's hard to isolate to be able to do a research study like that. Um, <clears throat> I there's so many variables like we discussed today already that could impact your ability to hold a pregnancy. And, and we really just scratched the surface in this conversation today. We can talk about a myriad of other things, right? Like we really didn't even talk very much about toxins and, um, and digestive function and, and so forth. So there's a lot of reasons. Um, and truly I see different reasons with almost everybody I work with, right? It's yeah. not like there's a, overarching theme every time. Oh, it's this, I wish that was the case. It's just, it's just not the way it presents itself. Yeah. Yeah. And the last question goes back to health concerns. And I found this an interesting question as well. Um, the Instagram follower asked, why is it not customary to test for celiac disease following two miscarriages in your practice? Do you test for this? Is it necessary test for everybody or just based on symptoms? Yeah. So it's not customary because again, from in, in the type of medicine we practice, we have put on our blinders and you can't see me visually, but I've got my hands by my eyes, <laughs> you know, and because we have specialties, right? And so the reproductive endocrinologist only focuses on IVF and the gastroenterologist only focuses on your GI system. And those two do not communicate. And so truly, it's a matter because of the way medicine is practiced specifically in the Western world versus any other reason why that's not looked at. In my practice, I don't routinely check for celiac disease unless there's a reason for it. So we've started to see some digestive issues. Okay, let's take a step back. Let's start to look at that. Um, and that might be part of my panel when I do a stool test or something like that. Um, but no, it's not a routine thing. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be, but the reality is, is yes, celiac is common, but it's not as common um, that it would require us to test everybody to rule it out. So, right. Yeah, yeah that's a great answer. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. I think that you are a wealth of knowledge. I know that people either got validation or information or both from the conversation. Um, I'd love to close out with you just sharing how people can find you, how they can work with you. Um, Cause I know a big question, especially in today's world, you know, well, I don't want to say post COVID because it still exists, but like, you know, 
everything is virtual. And so a, a big thing that I think is really great about the way that you work is that you do work with people virtually. So I, I'd love for you to share how people can work with you if they're interested. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that opportunity. Um, I think first and foremost, if you want to find me, website is straightforward, markscar.com. Um, my um, my social media is also great, Instagram um, and um, Facebook as The Fertility Expert. Um, but my favorite is, is my YouTube channel, Fertility TV. Um, typically put out a new video every week. <clears throat> and um, so there's a lot of really useful information, um, easy to access, you know, just go to the channel and then search for the topic that you want. And I do have a, a lot of videos um, on this topic as well. Um, but I do, like you said, I do work with uh, couples all over the world. And so, you know, if someone's in San Diego, I have my clinic, but outside of that, um, I do have a coaching program where I support couples all over the world. It's called my Hope Fertility Coaching Program. And if someone wants more information on that, they can just reach out and, and we can get them that.